Hello and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is leading a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Inika, and this week, Jack, Kanisha, and I spoke with Hassan Javed and Zoe Balea of Citizens University's Youth Collaboratory, which focuses on equipping the next generation with the skills to build civic power and use it for good, right up our alley. We have to change narratives of power as part of this. Zoe and Hassan underscored that we can't solve problems with the same old strategy. We need to help young people realize and wield our individual and collective power. It's a key to transformation and empowerment, both societal and personal. Hassan talked about the pain of wanting to call out and address injustices he saw, but not having a vehicle to do so. So how do we build power? By organizing, of course. One person can bring four more people in. By building community and networks, especially of young activists, we can become civically supercharged and start to change culture and, ultimately, cultural change is even more important than policy change. Yet, it doesn't happen overnight or even over many nights, and we have to hold the vision and be willing to work for it, day after day and night after night, and to pursue multiple avenues to find what works. The more we learn now, and maybe even the more we fail now, the more effective we'll be in 20 to 30 years. We loved how Zoe talked about using creative capacity to combine a logic framework with a heart-centered approach to enable each of us to show up in ways that are fulfilling, loving, and inspiring, and that help the world become the best version of itself. Here's to that version, and thanks for listening. My name is Annika Kodestane, and I'm a high school senior from New Jersey. And in addition to being on the podcast, I'm also the co-editor-in-chief of the Next Generation Politics blog. And today I'm just excited to talk about what an ordinary person can do to just advocate. The past couple years have been a really rough time for individual people because of the pandemic, because of a turbulent political atmosphere, because of just a lot of things that have compounded onto each other. And I think it'd be really great and inspiring for people to know what they can do themselves. Hi, my name is Kamisha. I'm a high school junior from Queens, New York. And in addition to being on the podcast, I'm also a facilitator at YVOT. So the like track of YVOT I help facilitate is the political education and advocacy track. You know, in our work has been trying to identify systems of power, how they're built, and how people can actually harness this power themselves. This notion of, you know, there's only this amount of power at one time. And most of us think we're never going to have that power. This power is going to be held by a person in this office or a person that has more influence than you. A lot of times, especially as a young person trying to get involved, I think it can be really unmotivating to see that and recognize it. So what I'm really interested in talking about is how we can actually change the narrative around power and make this information more accessible to everyone. Hey, everybody. I'm Jack. I'm a high school junior from Manhattan. I've been with NextGen for about a year. I joined um, as part of the Civic Fellowship Program, where I conducted a civic action project on freedom of expression in New York City high schools. And so that was really interesting because we were able to publish a survey, which generated a lot of interesting data about sort of where like our civic discussion stands in high schools. And since then, I've become a member of the podcast team, which has been really exciting because I've been able to have tons of interesting discussions And so today I'm really interested to figure out more about sort of as Inika said, like, what is power? How can the normal Joe generate it, right? Like, what what does that mean? You know, we all think that like, yes, like I vote, but does my vote really count? And seeing about different ways that you can influence the way our countries run. 
Hi everyone, my name is Hassan. I'm the alumni advisor for the Youth Collaboratory. And basically as part of the Youth Collaboratory, we recruit 24 high schoolers every year across the country. And as part of our program, we kind of teach them how they can create power in their own communities, whether this is their school, their school districts, their local voting district, and how they can challenge what power exists as in their communities and create this atmosphere that's more equitable, that's more inclusive. I'm Zoe, Zoe Bellier. I am on staff at Citizen University. And at CU, our mission is really to build a culture of powerful, responsible citizenship all across the country. So we're really interested in not only what individuals can do, but how we can all show up into that question, how we can all live that question of what I can do in a way that fosters an evolution of civic culture all across the United States. And so program manager there, I manage the youth collaboratory. I also manage one of our newer programs, Citizen Redefined, which also reaches high school age students. Been there for about five years. And I am really excited about the creative capacity I have in my work to combine this real practical logic brain framework about how any one person can tap into the power that exists within them inherently, but also to infuse that framework with a, a heart-centered approach, a creative approach that prioritizes each of us showing up in ways that are fulfilling and loving and inspiring and, and interested in imagining the world into its own best version of itself. Like everybody feels, I think, a little bit disenfranchised. There's a lot of anger. Our civic discourse is at, at a terrible place. You know, our government is regularly gridlocked. And this is one of the few things that Americans actually agree about is that we're in a really bad place. And so, you know, you mentioned imagining and bringing the world and our country to a better, to the best version of itself. So can you talk a little bit more about what does that mean exactly? Like what programs, you know, sort of what ideas do you employ? And this also perhaps is for Hassan too. You know, what does that look like in practice? One of the reasons why I feel like it's so important to help young people particularly access their inherent power is because we critically need an infusion of new ways of being, new ways of acting, new ways of treating each other, and new ways of building better systems. One of the things that we're really curious about within the Youth Collaboratory is like, what was up with the promise that the United States made to itself? And how could we maybe like make good on that promise in a way that reckons with the harm that was caused along the way? Inherent in this framework is this idea that power can be generated from nothing and that we can stop thinking about power as a zero-sum game. And I think that a lot of the struggles that you outlined, political gridlock, polarization, all these things really come from this idea that in order for someone to increase their personal power, they have to take it from somewhere or from someone. And I think in the Youth Collaboratory, part of how we're trying to reimagine that equation is by saying each of us can generate power from nothing. And that doesn't have to be a practice of dragging someone else down. The best way I can describe it is the two titles of the books that Eric Liu has written. So Eric Liu is just, you know, the overall coordinator for Citizen University. And two of his books are You're More Powerful Than You Think and Become America. And for me, quite literally, it was like through Citizen University, I realized I was more powerful than I thought. 
until I became part of the fabric that was America. So I think, especially now being an alumni advisor, but also once going through the program myself, for me, I grew up in a rural community and being of a Muslim background, my mom was always very cautious about how civically engaged I was. She didn't want me to be the kid that got extra attention in class. She didn't want me to eventually have to be a representative, like the sole representative for my faith in a classroom of 30, 40 kids. And eventually, over the course of the years, that kind of translated into me wanting to be civically engaged, me wanting to follow politics and discuss politics, me wanting to call out all the injustices and the inequities that I saw in my community, but not having an avenue to do so. And then that's until I got to Citizen University. And and basically what we do is that over the course of the year that we're part of the Youth Collaboratory, we have these things that are called power projects. We look at what local manifestations take place in our own societies of these things. How does polarization exist in Highlands County, Florida, where I'm from? How does gridlock exist in the political system, even if it's just the political system of a school district? And what we do is that we design our power projects to not only solve these problems necessarily, but even identify them call attention to them, you know, start community dialogue of, you know, what can we do about this? What can we do in our role as youth? Typically, you know, we see that as youth, we're not really taken sometimes as serious. How can we claim a spot at the table for things that very really, like, you know, influence us and the people around us? And over the course of this power project, at least for me, the experience was quite literally finding out I was more powerful than I thought. The thing that means citizen university to me, the thing that means civic empowerment for me is this power project. It's this process of, you know, coming in, knowing what's wrong, but not knowing how to solve it. Sitting down in this beautiful atmosphere of 24 or 23 other, you know, youth, young civic activists, kind of like brainstorming these things together, having discussions on them. Uh, By the end of the program, you've in-depth diagnosed what this thing is and how you can solve it in your role as a youth in that society. I think all this discussion about power has also reminded me of something that a lot of individuals feel like they don't have power in, which is voting. The premise that somebody's vote doesn't matter if they're the only ones doing it. And this is sort of like a, a more cynical way of looking at it. But when like we're talking about individual power, do you think that only one person can make a difference or does it also depend on other people also being as engaged and as active as you in order to, you know, make tangible change? The number one most impactful way to spend your power is by organizing, right? So even in Eric's book, he says organizing is magic. And that's like the primary way that we generate power from nothing. The thing that one person can do is invite four people over to their house, right? Like the thing that one person can do is say, hey, come with me, we're going to vote. The thing that one person can do is stand up in front of their class and say, I'm looking for volunteers to help me on this project. It's really in some ways, you know, enticing, intoxicating the path of least resistance to be like, I'm just one person, my vote doesn't matter. I'm just one person, my actions don't matter. And I think it's sort of why we talk about culture change rather than policy or direct action is because it's through building community primarily as the first action that we can feel networked, feel like we're in a web of care, feel like we have power beyond our own self to to affect the change we want to affect. In some cases, it does happen that you do start with one. It's this drive of going 
past yourself to that second person. Ultimately, that gets to a fourth person, that eighth person. Ultimately, I, what I see happen too often is that like people fall through the cracks in terms of organizing when they realize they sometimes do have to start with that one. But it's about that effort of going from that one to a second person. And it's something that I also saw with my own experience in Citizen University. So as part of Citizen University, one of the things that I worked on was tackling the school to prison pipeline that existed in my school district. And I remember I went from, uh, this was our meeting in Malibu. This is the first time that I ever got to meet the rest of my cohort. And by the end of the three days, I was so like civically charged. When I got back to, you know, my school district and when I was just like sitting through all of these meetings, it was just uphill and it was such a reality like check where it was like just like okay like it's time to wake up and it's just like in that moment when it does hit you that you're in you know a community that may necessarily not be on board with everything that you're advocating for since day one it's about pushing for that day two where you're going to have one more person join the team for me it was about okay i'm ready to challenge the school to prison pipeline that exists in my school district i went through couple weeks of just like you know zero just like hitting brick walls and then I found one teacher that joined in a second teacher and then eventually that got me a meeting with my principal that got me to you know someone in the county office so it's like even if your organizing starts alone you'll never end alone what have you found have been some of the toughest challenges with actually getting people to understand these systems of power and how they can actually get directly involved in those a lot of people, they'll find that the avenues that they typically would have thought change would have been occurring. When they don't see action coming from those avenues, they realize that, okay, like maybe this isn't too strong of a fight. Maybe this isn't something that I should be pushing. And I think one way of challenging this, like, okay, maybe this isn't the thing that I should be fighting for, is to realize that sometimes the avenues we we think are going to be effective in um, you know, creating our own power. Sometimes the avenues we think where we'll be getting the proper responses for are not necessarily the avenues that they end up coming from. The organizing that we think that may be coming from our, you know, local community may instead start from our school. The diversity in the avenues that you pursue definitely helps challenge the brick wall of, I've tried this route and this isn't working. You know, you mentioned how can we shift the narrative around power? And I, I wonder if part of that is shifting the narrative around failure. I was listening to an interview yesterday with Ai-jin Poo, who's like a labor activist and she directs the National Domestic Workers Alliance. She was talking about, you know, when you're trying to build something, when you're trying to build a movement, when you're trying to build towards a meaningful change, it's really important to not have the goal be the thing, but to have the goal be learning. And if you shift yourself to where the goal of everything you're doing is to learn, then it, it might even be possible to welcome failure because every time you fail, you're going to learn something about how you could be more effective in the future. And I think I'm like finally reaching the point in my life where it feels inauthentic for me to speak from the perspective of a young person. And I, and I don't want to do that, but I do think that what I remember about being a young person is that it felt really hard to me when I was a teen and in college to imagine that life is long. But I think that especially as a young person engaged in this type of work, if you can orient yourself towards learning and remember that like the more you learn now, and so even potentially the more you fail now, the more effective you're going to be in 10 years, 20 years, I think that could really help buoy you in moments where you're hitting the brick wall. It's like, what are you learning in that moment? 
for a lot of people, just the like idea of organizing can seem like such a feat. And I think it's usually what actually stops young people from wanting to get involved in things. What is your like greatest hit for actually sticking with that work? If you see a problem, if you recognize a problem around you, chances are you're not the only person that does. It's so easy to just think like, okay, like maybe no one else knows about this. Maybe no one else thinks deeply about this. But sometimes it's not until you start a conversation on it. People are ready to jump on board. People are waiting for that cue, for that signal. And as long as that initial spark in you to even just start a conversation, just to talk about it, if it's in you, that's half the battle to organizing right there. And I think one thing that, you know, in today's day and age really facilitates even just that conversation is social media. I would say that even for my own power project, social media was something very integral as a form of like, okay, like, what would you like to see discussed when we organize next? When is it that you would like to organize next? Like kind of like it was used as even a planning for organization. Social media is so integral in even starting dialogue. The key to getting over this barrier of organizing is to treat the initial stages of it as just a conversation. I would also say that it's possible to expand a little bit our definition of that phrase. Like the two questions I'm really sitting with right now going into this next year of the youth collaboratory is like, what is breaking your heart? What are the things that you are thinking about or carrying with you that are feeling really heavy, you know, and this is like a different way of asking, like, what are the issues you care about? Right. But then also the companion question to that is what is bringing you joy? And can you find an action that lives in the space between the answers to those two questions so that it's not only about swallowing the bitter pill of organizing a protest and being the one to bother your friends and da 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 da, but it's like, how can you use the things that you already find joyful, that you already do in community, as the fertile ground for planting the seeds for organizing and activism so that you you don't all only have to think about, you know, we have this phrase like, I'm doing the work, like I'm showing up and doing the work. It's like, okay, yeah, let's show up and do the work, but also like, let's show up and do the play. Like, let's show up and do the party. Like, let's show up and expand the ways we imagine that change could happen. We'd be really interested to hear what, like a little bit more about what your power projects were, how they operated, what what exactly that, you know, looks like. For my power project, I challenged the school to prison pipeline that existed in my school district. What I noticed as a problem was that we had most of our resources directed to our highly achieving students. And for students that were facing like behavioral repercussions or academic repercussions, eventually what happened was that they would meet with the dean over and over and over and again until they just quite literally fell through the cracks. Sometimes it would just be like straight expulsion. It would be dropping out. There was this problem of not considering these deeper factors. Why is it that these students are having a difficult time in classrooms? Why is it that these students are having the same behavioral issues over and over? And one way that my power project designed to change that was we paired youth mentors with mentees because we thought that the best way to understand where one student is coming from is from the perspective of another student, from the perspective of someone of you know their same age who can understand and relate to the struggles that they may be experiencing. So one very important distinction to make was that our students were not trained like guidance counselors in our school. So they weren't like really there to deal with like serious problems, but they were trained to identify those 
And then they worked in conjunction with the school to kind of pass on like, okay, this is perhaps the type of help that the student may warrant. Maybe it's something in their house that isn't healthy. That's, you know, worth the school arranging some sort of like help in that regard for. It was kind of like looking at a student, not as a, a delinquent, but as a human being, as someone whose behavior in classrooms, whose behavior in their settings was not a end result, but rather just a representation of what issues they may be facing. Especially considering the context of this conversation, a few other projects that I would just point out and lift up are, we had a student who created a a thrift store in her school and students would get credits to use at the thrift store that were incentivizing the behaviors that that her school was experiencing a lack of like showing up for class and, and things like this. And then it was also a way for her to provide cold weather resources to students who maybe didn't have access to those things. So it's sort of like, I think this is such a great example of a culture shift because it's like a combination between something joyful, like shopping, you know, it's not like come and get this handout that you really need. It's like, we have a thrift store at our school, come shopping, but it's like solving these two problems that our students are facing at the same time. So that's just like, I think always sticks out to me as a really beautiful example, but We have students who organize panels and educational events. We have students who organize multicultural events at their schools or start clubs or start new organizations. We have students who partner with existing organizations to bring in a new initiative or bring in new community members. We often have students who create new resources. So I'm thinking about the last cohort and we had one student who created a resource kit for immigrants and translated it to a ton of different languages. We had one student who created a, an online forum for students who are at risk of dropping out from school and, and helping support them with a lot of resources that could either help them to stay in school or potentially help them along their journey of making the choice that finishing high school wasn't right for them and making sure that they still had access to the kinds of things that would help them. So I think there's a lot of different ways that we see students approaching this task, which is part of what has always made it so inspiring to me to watch. I would just be interested to hear all of you to say like, what got you over that hurdle of, of starting to be involved? Because all, all of you are, are students who have decided to take action, to organize. So like, is there any kernel of wisdom that you have around that question of like, just doing it, just just getting over that first challenge or that first resistance. It was like the middle of like freshman year. And I was thinking, why haven't I gotten involved? And in my head, it was like, what if this is a waste of time? What if it's just like, like a measly 14 year old, I'm not going to do anything. And I think what like pushed me to just get over that was it can't hurt right? If you actually care about something, if you get involved in it, it's not going to be a failure if you don't get this bill passed or if you don't run this huge campaign that affects like hundreds of people. That's not a failure because you'll constantly be learning about an issue and just, you know, participating in something that you genuinely care about. And I think the other thing is like, it's always a net positive, whatever you do. Because you can get involved with the issues you care about in so many different ways, whether it's literally just spreading awareness at the dinner table or something like actually organizing with a bunch of different people. And to me, it's like, it's a little bit like get over yourself, you know, 
anything you're passionate about or anything you care about and having that genuine interest in it and just like going for it. And at some point kind of letting go of the fear of failure and understanding that like, it's probably going to be a great experience. So just do what you love. So I've been involved in NextGen for about a year, but I would say that like my true like organizing thing, it's mental health of students. So over the pandemic, mental health of students, I think has been awful. And I think it's been criminally underpublicized. And so I had an experience where I know drawing from my own experience, I was concerned, but then I heard a ton of my peers talk about the exact same experience. And exactly as Sasan was saying, it was like, oh, I'm not the only one here. So for the past, like basically for the past year, I've been meeting with every administrator who will talk to me. And I'm very lucky to go to like a Catholic school. It's a little bit less, like less regimented and I have a little bit more like mobility, which has proven really fantastic because I've been able to, to put together actually like a committee that's been recognized by the administration. We meet weekly dedicated to like improving the well-being of students. That whole thing really sprang from this realization of, hey, I'm not the only one, which I think, I think is something that can't be over-publicized. Yeah, something really similar happened um, in my school. So we had a Native American mascot for like the longest time. And then in the summer of 2020, there was like a, a petition and there was a big push to get it changed. And eventually we did get it changed. But I think like the biggest part of getting people to understand like what the issue was and then actually having people passionate about it, willing to, you know, talk about it, willing to uh, petition administrators and talk to teachers and other students and, and people in the school community about it was just having a dialogue. I am, and at that time I was the editor-in-chief of our school newspaper. So this is when we were all virtual, which I think made things even worse because it's so easy to just disagree over something on the internet. But like what we decided to do is give students an opportunity to share their thoughts on it, to talk about their opinions on it and try to demonstrate that this wasn't like an isolated thing. Like it's not like there was one person that had an issue with it and then there was one person that wasn't and those were the only two opinions on it. So I think the biggest part of that was like, you know, facilitating conversation about it. And I think that's one of the biggest things you can do. Like Jack was saying, you know, there's other people that are having the same conversation. So if you're able to show that and prove that to other people and then allow them to get involved in that same conversation, that's how you're really able to get change like that going. That's all for today with NextGen Politics. Special thanks to our editor, Clara Medina, our producer, Sanda Balaban, and to Jeremiah Hunt for our opening and closing music. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded. This is Maggie Yu for NextGen Politics. <laughs>